0: Welcome to the John Papaloni Show. Today we have Rory Galvin on the show. Rory, welcome to the show.
1: Pleasure to be here, John. Thank you.
0: Absolute pleasure to have you. Now, why don't we start off with the show with a bit of a uh, description of who you are, what you do, and how you got there.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I I run a uh, consulting company called Naviram, um, and we work in the financial services industry to help you know banks insurance companies real estate uh, bro- uh, mortgage brokers i should say um to run their business more efficiently using technology uh that's really our role so we're based out are a canadian company and we work with you know businesses across the country um and you know in the united states and um, we've got some uh, overseas clients as well
0: very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So, okay, yeah, you mentioned something with the mortgage brokers. I mean, that's one of my, uh, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm licensed as a mortgage broker as well as mm-hmm. a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. So mm-hmm. why don't we deep, uh, dig deep into What sure. What exactly does the software do?
1: Well, we don't, we have, I mean, yeah, we have our own, uh, we do have some of our own software and uh, that we use. But, I mean, we work with a number of technology platforms to deliver results for our customers. Um, a big player in that is Salesforce. So you might have heard of those guys yep. before, the cloud um, technology company, um, but we also work with uh, other uh, technology stacks as well, like uh, AWS, DocuSign, uh, and many, many others as well. Um, and you know what we do is kind of build out these solutions. So you know, you mentioned uh, mortgage brokers, for example. Um, we would sit down with typically presidents or CEOs or managing directors of these companies and just try and figure out where they want to go as a business um and we very often you know uh the mortgage broking industry is very very competitive as you know and technology plays relationships are huge technology is huge and people are always looking for the edge um to um you know grow their business offer better service so you know we would work in in this example we just you know we'll sit down and try and figure out where the company wants to go uh, typically, they're, they're growth orientated or they want to create platforms to attract best of breed talent uh, into their organizations so that they can actually close deals faster. That's another thing that we see. And the same thing applies across the financial services industry. So insurance is the same thing. You know, it's about great customer experience. It's about renewals. Uh, banking, it's the same thing. It's about opening more bank accounts, creating greater share of wallets. So we help uh you know business owners address all of those key um goals that they're trying to achieve um using technology typically right 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 now
0: now with that being said like how like why did you choose this industry let's start off with that like what made you get into it versus you know doing something else
1: that's a great question um i actually i've worked in it uh pretty much my whole career and um i i used to work when i came out of college i i joined uh, Accenture, big consulting company, got into their graduate program. And uh, I was stationed, I was living in the UK uh, at the time, and I was stationed uh, in sort of these really remote places and uh, like business parks in the middle of nowhere. And I had a hotel and an apartment to stay in and all that sort of stuff. And as a young 20 year old, you know, that's great. But like, I was, I never saw my friends, I never saw my family. I was like, I need to get into an industry that I can actually be in the center of town and have a life at the same time. If I'm being honest with you, that's how I actually got into the industry. And I lived in London at the time and I was like, well, look, it's a financial services hub. I need to get into this industry. I wanna be able to have a social life. I wanna meet people. I don't wanna be stuck in a business park in the middle of nowhere. So I'd like to say uh, it was because uh, you know I you know was really attracted to the industry at the time, but like it was really about just being around other people and having a career and a job that was that was centered around uh, you know cities and stuff like that. So that's kind of where it started in my in my in my youth.
0: Right, right, right. So obviously that's a very important thing. Yeah. I mean, there's, as like you said, you you got into an industry where it is a people business, too yeah. mortgages, real estate, financial. 100%. It's really about the people. It's not a, really a product. Yeah. Like the product is, you know, what they offer, but it's not really about that because no one's going to, prime example, no one's going to just click online and say, oh, oh, that looks wonderful. Oh, I'd like to have one of those in my living yeah. room. You know what I mean? So it's not, you know, you're not getting those uh, people who have that, you uh, that um what's the word i'm looking for where they just you know that impulse buy yeah. everything that uh mm-hmm. you know that you cater to is usually something that's intentional and well thought out um, which therefore so is uh the people they choose to work with yeah so yeah and, and that's a great way of having you to be and you know to work with other people
1: yeah no I, I couldn't agree with you more i think that like uh you know it's a very people orientated across across the world, not just, you know, Canada, United States, the same thing in the UK, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's the same thing in, in Europe. And But I, I think like, you know, uh, where technology can help, um, you know, brokers is, is just having a bit more information um, around their clients and being able to do things quicker. I think nothing's ever going to replace the relationship and the trust that they build. But Perhaps being able to issue paperwork faster, mandates quicker, uh, resolve customer issues, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, from their mobile device or having things like apps running on their phone can be helpful. But uh, you know, technology will only ever complement that; it'll it'll never replace it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Now, which brings up the question here, right? Like, because you mentioned the technology and stuff, like Salesforce, DocuSign, and stuff. And I'm going to be devil's advocate here, and I'm going to ask, like. What uh, is the benefit of working with you versus, for example, I have a DocuSign account, I can register with Salesforce um, and just doing it on my own. Like, obviously, there's going to be a niche of people that you deal with and there's obviously a purpose. And that's what I'm kind of aiming for.
1: All right. uh, So so, John, great question. I guess, you know, why companies want to use our services and, you know, generally it's because they don't have the time themselves. They've kind of got to a stage where they're maxed out and they're like, look, we need to set up, we need to define our sales process, we need to define our marketing process, and we need to push it into a system so that when we hire in new brokers, for example, that they can just hit the ground running. They've got the tools, they've got the, the mandate templates, they can just start selling. And then, uh, you know, for reporting purposes as well, so from, from a regulatory standpoint as well, having all that information in one place, uh is becomes important so it's usually a time thing a money thing and usually the our 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 best customers we work with are the ones that sort of understand their process already and they understand their sales process and they're able to kind of help describe that to us i think a lot of early stage companies that are still finding their feet they they actually don't know their processes yet they might have worked at bmo they might have worked at cibc and they've set up their own shop But actually what they find is once they get down to the small business level, they have to sort of rethink how they operate because, you know, uh, National Bank or Desjardins do things a certain way and they need to operate slightly differently, maybe a bit more efficiently, less steps, you know. Uh, So once they've got that figured out and they know the way they operate, it's a great time to sit down with us and we can help move build a system out of that and systemize what they do.
0: Right so with that being said and based on the process that you do obviously that one man show isn't the person you cater to what would be the uh minimum you know minimum, minimum amount you know size that you would uh, cater to
1: um well i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't uh, rule out like one or two people uh, companies we work at those all the time um but typically i'd say a smaller business like that it might be like a serial entrepreneur like we're working with a i'm thinking of one or two right now where they've maybe sold another business and they've got a bit of capital and they want to do something different and they're like well we want to we want to put in a crm we want to put in an erp we want to we want to connect it to the mls we want to just really kind of turbocharge this business and they've got a bit of money to spend on the project um, or perhaps they qualify for the CDAP program, which is the Canadian digital, uh, you know, the grant that's available there, um, which uh, can also give them a bit of extra cash to do it. Um, but if it's a one-person company and they're bootstrapping and they're watching every dollar and every cent, um, it might not be the best thing to do right at that point. But you know, hopefully, in a couple of years when they're more established, um, it could be a you know good opportunity to reach out uh, for us to, to help out. So. I think that smaller companies that are that small and they're just getting up and running, I think they need to be smart and they need to be, you know, sensible with how they spend their money and using freelancers, uh, you know, doing stuff themselves, getting, you know, I think that's a great way to, to get a business up and running, um, you know, because not everyone has the money to do it. Let's face it, you're probably not even paying yourself a salary. So like, you know, trying to spend money on a technology project, you know, it's hard to justify that initially
0: got it got it now when you decided to you know come you know get into this and you 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 got out of what you were doing and you know transitioned nothing is easy in life like there's always challenges there are always uh you know things to consider sometimes maybe there's a little fear what was your biggest challenge in the in this uh transition
1: oh my god there was there was many many challenges um i think there there was never There's not i can't really say there was one particular challenge um but i think dealing with the amount of work you have to do setting up a business at the start uh was was hard and what i used to do was i used to break my day up into three parts i do um in the early hours in the morning i used to get up really early and i do all my sort of consulting analytical work first thing uh, and then i'd move on to do i'd always dedicate time to sales and marketing then sort of mid-morning um, and then in the afternoon, generally I'd work on operations. So things like invoices, you know, following up on you know tax payments, that sort of thing. Um, so I'd break it up because you're doing three or four jobs at once when you're starting a company. Uh, so getting that balance right, I think is hard. Um, um, I'm just trying to think. I think as the business kind of grew a little bit, hiring was something I'd never really done a lot of before. So trying to find people who want to work in a small growing business um you know uh, is is really hard thing to do like people some people say you know i think it was larry ellison who founded oracle he's like you know um the people who are suited to running and working in a small company uh you know are not necessarily the ones that are going to be suited to working in a big company but they're both just as talented in their own way uh it's just trying to find that talent and trying to find that fit can be really hard because there's so many other competitors out there who are offering better things and better pay and better terms, you know, not necessarily everyone's up for that journey. So you have to really sell the business and make it compelling for them to come on board. So trying to get that sales pitch right and trying to frame the business to to new hires in the early stages is something that is a bit of a challenge. Um, uh, And then I guess, you know, just trying to be just committing to, for me anyway, it's about like finding your niche in the market and saying, look, this is where i'm going to operate it's so tempting for small businesses to want to be everything to everybody um, for cash flow purposes because they don't have a clear idea of what they want uh where they need to go but i think it's really important to narrow down uh where you want to focus on i'd say i'd say what we did at the start was we did sort of focus on financial services um, um and i think that was definitely a good thing that really helped us out um but that's not to say we doubted ourselves because as we went along, we are like, you know, should we be in healthcare? Should we be in manufacturing? Should we be in high tech? Um, cause they're all great industries in, in Canada, but like, I think our expertise was in, was in fins. So that's where we stayed.
0: Makes total sense. That makes total sense. Now, with that being said, as you're hiring people and you're going through the process, cause like you said, it was not something you were used to doing. And I'm sure that, you know there were some learning lessons in there, and and I commonly hear that uh, you know retention tends to be a uh, massive, massive uh, undertaking, and I'm sure in the beginning there must have been some sort of challenges with that too. Like, what what, what was that process like for you? Like, what was it like? Did you find that when you hired people? They stayed a certain amount of time. Like, did you have, you know, again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there was no retention issues and you got it right the first time around. And, uh, you know, everyone's different. And sometimes what's right today isn't right tomorrow. So go through the process of what that looked like for you once you started.
1: Yeah, I I think that, like, um, I've been lucky that before I set up Naviram, that I'd worked for a couple of other smaller growing companies. And what I realized um, in there was that the CEOs were, uh, always very, I was lucky to work for a couple of great leaders who are like always trying to find people who are really enthusiastic to work for their company for a particular reason. And um, I think that's something that, because I'd come from the corporate world and people, you know, it was all about the salary and the benefits and all that's their time off. And whereas like, you're looking for a kind of, you know, jewels of uh, people who are just really are committed to, to learning something. They want to come along for the ride. And uh, I, I think, Early on, I kind of realized that in terms of my hiring, that those are the people I needed to, to target. Um, so I think I, I've been lucky, like I look at my operations manager uh, today, uh, Debbie Ann, she was my first hire. And, um, you know, coming up uh, three years later, she's still with us and she's been promoted multiple times. Some of our more senior consultants, like Cinchina, uh, has been with the same period of time over three years. And the, the quality is that they're, um, they're focused, you know, they're hardworking, they want to learn and, um, you know, they're, they're committed to, to working and growing the company. So I think that's something you have to really you have to look at, I think to look out for people like that. And they're generally quite humble and they're, you know, they, they want to, they, they want to get, they want to get on board the bus and go on that journey. And, um, so in terms of retention, I think, um, you know if a person isn't really doesn't really like if their priority is not to grow and learn as in, as in their career um and their their key, number one thing they want is, is salary and bonuses and you want to be above the market average it's very very hard for a small company to offer that but what they can offer is amazing experience and um uh, you know amazing career i always call it an amazing career equity that you can build up and uh, use to start your own company one day or maybe go on and, and join a bigger company later on. So, um, so you know, we've been, been lucky with the hiring, but we, you know, that, that's not to say we didn't hire a couple of people who weren't suitable for the business as well along the way. We definitely had a few um, bad hires, um, but I would say that in hindsight, the people that didn't work out for Naviram were the people who were not used suited to working for a small growing company. They were better off in a bigger organization where their skills were better suited, their temperament was more suited. So, you know, I think you just have to just look out for people who, who want to be there and, uh, you know, and get on board that journey.
0: Makes total sense. love that answer. Now, every business has a, um, I would say a balance between sales and marketing. Yep. And some people don't really know that there's a difference out there, mm-hmm. but. I mean, obviously there is. Now, I personally come from the belief that marketing is the most important Mm -hmm. and it's number one, not that you can neglect sales because a company with zero sales, it doesn't matter how known they are, (laughs) they're not paying their bills. So I do believe there is some form of balance, but I personally prioritize marketing and getting known because I find the transition into acquiring a client and keeping a client comes based on how well they know, like, and trust you. I mean, a lot of, like we said, it's the relationship business, and by building a strong campaign, strong marketing campaign out there, people get to know you, such as videos, like what we're doing now, people get the sense of who you are, you know, through this experience, and then that that's where they kind of decide whether they want to do business with you or not. So my question is in the beginning though, like you said a small business yeah. may have more limited resources yeah. than a larger Fortune 500 company as we'll say like like something like Bell Canada will have no issues putting 2-3 million dollars into a marketing campaign. I don't think a small business starting out is gonna have that kind of a budget. So my point is how did you balance the sales and marketing and what did that look like in the process of acquiring new clients?
1: Yeah, no, that, that's, a, that's a really good point. Uh, I think that like um, in, in, in our business anyway, it's really based on your reputation and the quality of the work that you're doing. And, um, you, know, uh, you know, good news travels fast, you know, bad news, Travels like wild, you know. Travels like wildfires. So, I always kind of think about that from from our perspective. That like uh, our last customer is our is our best advocate for what we do, and the experience they had. Um. So, so I, I agree with you. Like marketing uh, and being able to market your results in terms of the outcomes that you have for your clients is really a great selling point. Um. I think, uh, so building a brand around quality and innovation and delivering on what, on, on what you said you deliver on is super, super important. And um, I think your brand, you know, so so that's the kind of the, that's at things at a sort of kind of a, a smaller level, at, at sort of a macro level. I think every CEO and the leadership and any small company need to put themselves out there, whether it's on podcasts, whether it's Speaking at events, whether it's presenting to groups of people, you know that's their role. You know that's marketing activity. That's that's not selling. Um, and I think you need to have a, a you know a awareness and brand uh, as a priority. And your customers and you're the stakeholders involved with those customers are really great brand advocates for any any smaller company. I think sales depends on the industry that you're in, but certainly for us, our sales are quite technical in nature. They're very consultative and um, they can go on for you know a few months at a time a few weeks to a few months typically sometimes even longer um so when we're selling like uh, in, in our business it's really about like um just kind of guiding the the customer down a particular path until the project begins and um, so it's not really a so much a, a, a it's more of a consultation than a sale in terms of what we do but you know to scale and grow and become a much bigger company you know we'll have to hire in like uh, you know more salespeople into the business that's for sure um you know and that's something we'll need to do this year um but i think right now we're actually more focused on our marketing and our brand development and creating that mind share and awareness of what we do that's that's a priority for for us
0: Well said, and I agree with that. Now, in terms of customers, now we have our share of customers that we love. We have our share of customers that are neutral. Then we have some customers that are very difficult. Mm -hmm. Now, some of them are difficult because something bad happened. And let's be honest, there isn't a business on the planet that's swinging 100%. Yeah. So sometimes, but some of them are just difficult because they're just taking out their issues on everybody else. Yeah so my moral of the story of what i'm saying is that everyone has difficult customers Mm -hmm. how have you dealt with them
1: yeah i think that like um, in terms of dealing with customers i I think in terms of dealing with them i think that like ultimately um, our approach is today our approach is that there's a lot there's there's we've seen so much over the years and before naviram that there's a lot of situations that i've seen that you know, it's likely I haven't seen in the past. So I think myself and Josh, who's our VP of technology, uh, we've seen a lot of the technical issues and problems they can have. And, you know, I think we can bring our experience to the table to help customers on their way. But in, in our in our industry and what we do, we are implementing systems and helping to transform these businesses to take them to the next level. Very, very often the issues that we face along the way are sort of growing pains they're like transitioning from A to B. And it's like any sort of trans, transformation, whether it's financial, whether it's to do with relationships or or health, It's it, it takes a certain amount of friction to get to the next stage of where you wanna go. And I think very often when we face challenges with, with clients from in, the, in what we do, it's really about educating them on why something happened or why we did something the way we did it. And I think that like um, by kind of taking that approach with clients, a client say who's unhappy, like, for example, you know, client, we've had to pause a project. A client is two months behind on their invoices. And we've said, look, we're pausing work for now. Like, it's not about sort of just being hard on them. It's about explaining, look, you know, this is a risk, you know, this is our policy and we do it because of A, B and C Um, or because a client has run out of budget on a project because they haven't turned up for four meetings in a row and they gave us a bunch of requirements they that were not uh you know that they didn't want in the end um so i think talking through those problems i think and explaining why things are the way they are i think can be helpful um you know and then at the at the very s- small end of the scale you have unreasonable cus- customers who are just really not um, not playing ball, not being fair. uh, And, you know, those sorts of situations, they don't happen very often. But, like, you know, we i don't have any tolerance for abuse that's unwarranted towards our staff. You know, in a case like that, we might have to terminate a contract or something like that. But thankfully, it doesn't happen very often.
0: Very true. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think everybody goes through it at least once in their uh, adventure. But, um, you know, and it's sad.
1: Yeah, I I think I'll just just add one thing to that. Like, I think that, like, with a lot of customers and you probably see it in the mortgage world who they've never they've never it's their first mortgage their first home purchase it's very very stressful like it's, we'd like to identify customers who've never done this before they've never implemented a system they've never brought in efficiency into their business and they're usually the ones that find it the hardest at the start it's like you know they need to transform themselves before they can transform their business and same thing with a mortgage like i, I know myself like you know our first mortgage like it's it's a there's a lot of learning it's money it's financial if it goes wrong or falls through you can't buy your house so but i know if i had to buy you know take a, a remortgage or do one today it'd be a lot easier because i understand the process you know so it's just trying to understand the client where they're at in life i think that could be helpful
0: absolutely and, and like you said you touched a point there with the mortgages right especially the first time the person's going for a mortgage because a lot of times what ends up happening is you start off with this first set of documents yeah then the lender's unhappy with it yeah and the lender starts asking for more. And I've been on the receiving end on that because I, when I started in real estate and buying, I was buying houses in cash. Yeah. And, uh, well, eventually there's only so much of that you can do before you need to borrow. Yeah. So yeah. I got my first uh, mortgage and uh, I was expecting to be, here's my income, here's my uh, documents, this is the money, Sayonara. And they're turning around. Yeah. Nice try with that. This is what we need. And you're like, huh? <laughs> it's like, and and especially when you're like three days away from closing and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden they decide they're not satisfied mm-hmm. that can be a very frustrating experience for a customer trying to work and having their lender call them three days before it's due to say that they need something yeah and you know what i mean and and it's not like okay well if it you know if closing comes i'll get it to you by the end of the week or whatever no 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 you won't get the money if you don't have it yeah yeah Right? so it's frustrating and, and and if you're the broker or the agent whichever a lot of times they don't realize it's the lenders asking so they come out and take it out on the broker because they're stressed
1: yeah exactly 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 yeah i mean i think that like it really you know for us to go back to like the ideal customer for us like is somebody who you know they've done this before they have an internal uh you know um capability to take on board these systems. They have staff, they have project managers, they have uh, experience in doing it, working with customers. Like our top customers all have, they've all done it before and they get the most value out of the systems as well. They know how to sweat the asset and do more with them. So, um, you know, so, but that's just the nature of it, you know, I
0: think. Yeah, absolutely. Now, again, with every um, business, when we start off, we always have those fears, we have those challenges, we have everything we go through. But I believe there's a moment in time, Mm -hmm. and not that the fear ever goes away, because there's always a little bit, Mm -hmm. but there's a moment in time where it's not, um, it's not uh, basically holding you back anymore. You have what I call that aha moment. Mm -hmm. That aha moment is where you feel, okay, you know what? I may have to change things here and there. I may not be exactly where I want to be, but at least I'm heading towards it. I'm confident I'm where I'm supposed to be today. Mm -hmm. What was your aha moment?
1: I think like Naviram will be, you know, technically the company was incorporated five years ago in September, 2018. So I I think the, you know, the aha moment probably is still ongoing in terms of, of the business. I won't say that like, uh, but I think that, like, over if your business manages to survive to, to five years, and, and so many don't, um, I think you should have a pretty good understanding of your industry and your business and how it operates and what makes it tick and what goes in and what comes out the other side to make the actual company run. Um, so I think that, like, for for us, that, like, as long as we keep serving our clients, and they're happy, and we keep improving our service to them, and listening to them, and getting their feedback, and you know, and, and that kind of that uh, you know, virtuous cycle continues. Um, then there's no reason why we won't continue to grow as a company. And I think that's the key thing I'm always saying to my staff is just to listen to our customers, listen to those kind of things, nuances, things, those throwaway comments that they say, and let's bring those in and, and just incorporate that into the way that we work. So I think it's just about just refining uh, what you do and um, and then inter- improving your internal operations as well. I think we're constantly looking at how do we improve the efficiency with the way that we work? And you know that's a process uh, of ongoing improvement and change. And I'm sure my staff are driven crazy by me coming to them with new things and new ideas with what they want them to do, but that that's what you have to do. And I think that really, is what drives me with the company is that internal um, opportunity to improve, and then up that the, the the benefits that we can pass on to our clients. Um, so you just have to keep working on those things every day. Um, I don't think uh, I think success is rented; it's not it's not owned. And I think, like as a leader, like you just need to keep the team focused on improving how we deliver for our clients. As you said, the marketing and brand of the company. And then our internal operations, and in theory, if you focus on those things and you're innovative, um, the business should succeed. But it's it, it never stops. You know, it's it's a it's a hourly, daily thing with the, with a business.
0: I absolutely love what you just said there about success. Success is rented. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So many times people believe that they hit that certain number and they believe they're going to stay that way. Yeah. And believe it or not, I was that sucker that believed that. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, my first business that did real numbers, I was 20 years old. Mm -hmm. So I thought, uh, you know, any 20-year-old who's making a modest income, let alone a really good one, Mm -hmm. is going to think they're untouchable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I got that learning lesson real good. Mm -hmm. So, And that's where I learned that uh, success is rented, like you said. But great way of wording that. Yeah, I love that. Now, I just realized something, like just something came to mind which is that you started in 2018. Yep. Now, 2018, nobody ever heard the word, you know, coronavirus or COVID or any of that. And so your plan when you started, obviously was gonna be much, much different than uh, once everything kind of changed that way. Yep. But where I'm going, my question is, now I'm gonna guess, and you can correct me, I'm gonna guess that, that actually that whole, Outturn actually ended up being a positive impact for you in light of the business you're in. Um, but I could be wrong. How did that affect you? Like, like, like say March, 2020 hits when pretty much the world closed down. How did that uh, affect your business?
1: Well, I think like everybody that I, I, I remember it so distinctly when it, when it sort of crept up on everybody. Um, and, uh, honestly the first month of that happening, um, I think there was the, the world just sort of stopped, uh, from an economic standpoint anyway. Like, I mean, I think there was like a, genuinely, I think for the month of March, maybe going into the first week of April, you know, I didn't have a single lead or call from anybody regarding new business during that period. So it was very unnerving. Like I was like, like, you know, what's, what's happening here. And then we sort of got into the summer then of 2020 and, we, uh, things started to pick back up and a lot of companies started to lay people off at that time as well. And we were hiring. So we managed to hire a number of people that summer that, you know, were available because of, so from a hiring perspective, it worked out and then business picked back up again. And, um, but like, it really, like it changed how we, you know, operate. Like we still pretty much I'm at home today. We're a virtual team like we work remotely we have an office and I, I i'm i'm going in there later on this afternoon um but it really kind of changed the way our team work and we all you know we you know we have we use slack to collaborate internally and we do um you know we obviously use salesforce and other systems as well uh, we do a lot of virtual work, but I, I think like, um, you know, it was definitely a really scary time. Um, and I, you know, and, and business did uh, pick back up that summer and kept going, thankfully. Um, and we were, you know, we were working with other customers who were like in, in uh, the restaurant business or in the um, you know hotel business. And they went through a really, really difficult time uh, through the whole thing that to close down uh, companies and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, but we were fortunate enough to get through it. Um, and, you know, today, like our, 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 plan is to keep hiring across Canada, to keep hiring across the different provinces to build, uh, to, to leverage that because we can, you know, in, in our industry, it's like, you know, and again, it's acceptable for customers as well for us to deliver our services online and, and remotely. They're happy to do that. They don't have to pay to put us up in, in hotels and, pay for per diems and all that sort of stuff so it was it was a scary time but i think it really changed things uh you know the way we work personally it's my view anyway i think that like um i think this is just going to be a a lot more people working from home permanently or if not part-time it's going to be the norm going forward and anyway, certainly in our industry anyway so but you know thankfully things are sort of uh, back to normal now uh, to a degree from a from a from a business standpoint anyway
0: Right, right, right. Now, that's one thing, right, I've uh, thought about it as well, where I personally believe that um, the one thing I don't I don't think anything changed in the way of the direction we were heading. I think that closure just put everything in the turbo. Yeah. And um, because we were already heading into that whole remote remote working uh, people, yeah. uh, you know, starting up uh, businesses and doing things for themselves mm-hmm. over taking employment. Yeah. Um, office based condensing now i thought that we were maybe 10 to 20 years away from that mm, mm-hmm. you know where being to where it is today yeah where i think uh, that closure that uh, that that time pretty much smacked it into the turbo And now nobody wants to revert. Yeah, which is kind of good in a way because progress is progress. So if it's good progress, it's a good thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you know, it's 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 funny. Like when when COVID was over, I was the first one to go back to the office. I was like, I, I, I just got to get out of the house. Like you know, I wanna I wanna be in the office environment. I wanna bring you know my lunch every day and go in. And you know, after doing that for about a year, I was just like. I actually miss working from home a little bit now as well. So I started to spend, you know, a day or two at home. So I I like the mix. And, you know, a lot of our staff as well, they, um, you know, they've got families, they've got kids that are in school, they need to do the school drop off, they need to bring them home. And I think, you know, um, it gives people a lot of flexibility in their lives. And, you know, I think it can really work uh, for a lot of people. Um, and I think there's a, like, you know, there's a lot of health benefits to, even if you just do one day at home a week to be able to, you know, uh, eat at home, run errands, uh, do stuff on your lunch break that you wouldn't normally be able to do. Um, so I think, I think it's the future. Like, uh, it's going to be an interesting 10 years to see what that has, the impact that has on, you know, the commercial real estate market and how people work and, the creative ways that companies come up with to get their staff to go back into the office or work from home, um, you know, I know there's a lot of bigger companies that are really trying to pull their staff back in, like in the downtown Toronto and stuff like that. But I still know there's a lot of resistance from those staff to work from home to go back. You know, so it's I don't know who the winner there is going to be, but it's going to be interesting.
0: Yeah, that that is actually true. Now, my, I, you know, what I can't predict because you don't know.
1: Yeah but
0: i'm going to predict the ones that uh will end up having people going back to the office are going to be paying a lot more than the ones that don't and because there has got to be an incentive like let's be honest two jobs are open one allows you to work from home three days a week one tells you you have to be in the office for five days a week which now your expenses go up because now your car has to be in tip-top shape you're you're going to constantly have to pay for gas to go back and forth and you have to bring a lunch to you know taking a lunch to work is not really as cheap as eating what's in the fridge at home. No, um, it's not much more expensive. Now we're talking nickel and dimes, but the point is there's added expenses. Yeah. Now if two jobs pay the same and one lets me work from home, guess which one I would take?
1: Yeah, for, for sure. For sure. Like, I mean, I really like, um, you know, I was in New York a couple of weeks ago and uh, it's just so, it's so busy downtown uh, New York now, same thing in Toronto. Like it's just full of people. And um there's a lot of people back in their office as well so um you know uh, you know let's see how that let's see how that plays out like we're still you know uh, you know we still fully support our, our team to work remotely and you know we've got like little office hubs that they can come into from time to time if they just want to get a bit of a break um you know but like you know it's it's working for us right now, so uh we'll continue uh, that way into the future I think absolutely yeah
0: like um i found myself myself i had the similar story in the beginning the first couple of months we'll say where uh I thought it was going to be toast for a while because it was not even allowed to show homes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Like, agents were allowed to go and they were not allowed to bring people. Yeah. So we're showing people and they're buying by video. And I'm going, I don't care what kind of thing you're offering. There's no way I'm spending a half a million dollars to a million dollars on a home because I saw it on a video. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's just like, now it happened, but yeah. there was very few. Right. Yeah. So I thought, okay, who knows what's going to come ahead? But it turned out it actually worked well for me. Yeah, yeah. like like the people in our industry, I, we found people who couldn't sell something if you gave it away for free. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, we're selling two, three, four homes. All of a sudden, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, You know what I mean? Like it, it's it's like it really turbocharged the housing market.
1: Yeah, yeah, it it did. I think especially like in the suburbs as well. Like you know, so many people just wanted to get out yes. of downtown to 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 get out into the burbs. Um, so there was a huge spike in demand for that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm personally just really interested in that sort of, um, civic, you know, living, working space and what it's going to look like. And, um, you know, I think that like, I think like where I live now, I live in the, the center of the island of Montreal and there's like a lot of parks. There's a lot of like, um, you know, little sort of like, it's not all about the downtown. Like, you know, there's like, there's people living around parks, there's offices, There's um, families, there's schools, and there's these sort of little clusters all over the place. And um, I think that's gonna become like a a big part of the way we live in the future. There's also a new light rail system called the REM that's just gone in that sort of joins up a bunch of neighborhoods and there's a lot of bikes to rent. You can get your e-bike, there's kids going around on the scooters and stuff. So the place is changing, but like, I think like looking at my neighborhood where I live, it's, I think it's a much better environment for people to be in than everyone getting in their car or get, getting on the subway to be downtown at 8 o'clock and there to 6 and come home. And, you know, I'm not sure how healthy that is for people. Like, uh, you know, I think the, the the sort of the mix that we have now, I think, is, is, is better for everyone.
0: Yeah, it's a better, healthier balance. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, certainly in the office world. I mean, not everyone. I mean, I'm talking from an office perspective. There's so many people who work in restaurants, who work in the front line in terms of health services, and they don't have that option. Um, you know, so it, it, it's, it's difficult for them as well. But like, I think, um, you know, uh, certainly in, in, in the world of office work, it's, it's changing for sure
0: for sure now with that being said right there's uh, a lot of changes happen a lot of things you know have happened and i believe we are looking at a bit of an economic downturn um i think we've already had it i don't uh do i see a little bit more coming i believe a little bit more is coming i don't think it's gonna be uh the expectation is that one day you wake up the next day you wake wake up and all of a sudden you woke up and the world has fallen apart Mm -hmm. I don't think that's gonna happen. And I think, w- I, I, I would say that maybe there might be a little bit more of a drop, mm. but I think what we're gonna see is already happened kind of thing. And I think we're just working towards leveling off. And that's my personal belief, and I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. We could turn up and uh, skyrocket up or we can completely crumble. Yeah. But I, I believe that uh, you know the, the biggest impact has already happened. It's now just sort of balancing off where we are. And where my question is, that there's going to be a lot of people have seen that, seen their colleagues get laid off, seen new people getting paid, yeah. lower, seeing, you know, all these different changes. And the and they've always had this dream of becoming entrepreneurial, but they're a little worried now with everything they've seen. What would your advice be for that person who really wants to do it, is really excited, but scared?
1: Yeah, well, I think there's never a good time to, to start a business like, um, you know, I, um, you know, when I was... I, this is my second sort of professional services company I've started. I started one in my late 20s, and I ran it for a couple of years. And I actually ended up, you know, I closed the business because I wanted to go back to, to study for a year. And it was a profitable company. I had some great customers. And it was like, I, I literally started that uh, business in 2010, which was just in the shadow of the financial crisis in, in, in the UK. And I still managed to find some contracts and people to work for. And it worked out great. Like so I think that like you need to take maybe a slightly longer term view of, of your business. Like if your business, you think your business is gonna not work out in the next six months or the next 12 months. I don't think it's a business worth setting up. But if you see the business thriving in a three to five year period, or not even necessarily thriving, but becoming established in a five-year period, I would say go after it because even if you're going into a down cycle as long as you're willing to innovate and and improve the service and do different things like in the restaurant industry um i i remember uh, said to a, a restaurant owner in the run-up to COVID, i was like you guys have a great restaurant here you should just start delivering your food to people during COVID. It'll just tie you over for a couple of years and the guy laughed at me he said like that's a ridiculous idea like you know we're you know this is white tablecloth, silver service. And the guy laughed at me. And, um, I think that we saw majority of companies doing that during COVID. They just adapted, they found a new customer base, um, to diversify what they had. And, um, I think that COVID brought about that opportunity. And for you, you mentioned like in terms of showing houses, um, like it introduced technology to do that. And now people will buy a house, like, you know, with a tour of a house with an iPhone or or a video recording or something like that. So I think, you know, hard times create an opportunity, create an opportunity to innovate, um, you know, and that's the, that's the thing to, that every opportunity for any business. So, you know, they said the best time to start a business was 10 years ago. The other best time is today. So I'm I'm a big believer in that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Right. And again, most of the uh, millionaires were created during downturns. So I believe that there's two ways to look at life. You can look at everything that happens as in woe, behold, beware. I mean, beware, watch out. Oh, don't do that. Something might happen. Or you can look at it and say, okay, well, the majority of the people are going this way. That means there's opportunities if I go that way. Yeah. Right. So it's just a a matter of opening your eyes and looking for it.
1: Yeah. No. I I I I agree. And I think like um you know every anyone starting a business it's always going to be an unnerving time. Um. But you know it's a process that you go through and you learn so much. Like I mean, besides the economic value of the business, um, you learn so much that like, um. In terms of like your maybe your, your the job that you have now or the career that you have now i think there's a there's a huge reward there Um that even if your business doesn't work out for whatever reason that like you can always help other businesses to avoid that failure as well in the future i think and that advice is probably is more beneficial than the how to you know grow your sales or transform your business to a degree it's avoiding failure is is real gold like and even the people who advise me and the company like they've they've all had their ups and downs in business and the best advice is from usually from the people who've gone through the hardest of times you know so you know think about it from an economic perspective from a learning perspective um and take calculated risks as well i always say that to people don't just jump two feet into something that you think will work you know try to see how the the economics of the business work from a profit and loss perspective and um, from a competitor's you know try and find somewhere that is a big mar- i always say a big market with not a lot of competition is a really good place to start um you know and even if you are in a big market and there is a lot of competition try and find a niche a niche within a niche to to just become a specialist in that area i think is is really good too um, you know, so those those are a couple of things that might help people, uh, you know, alleviate some of that some of that stress stress and worry. Absolutely, love that advice.
0: Very well said. Now I'm a believer that there's uh, no such, such thing as failure. There's only learning lessons. Mm-hmm. The only time you fail is when you give
1: up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's so. true. I, I I agree with that. Yeah, i mean i think that like you have to have that attitude every day is a new day and uh you know every day is a new day to learn uh, either learn or succeed in what you do and i think that like you know i think it's a long-term game as well it's all about it's not about you know the first few years of running a business or even the first 18 20, couple of years of running a couple years one of this it can be very frenetic but you know a successful entrepreneur I know who has multiple businesses, he said, like, you know, Rory, when it comes to this game, it's slow and steady wins the race. And I didn't understand, like, how he could say that, given the amount of companies that he'd started. And he's like, it's about consistency. It's about turning up at your desk every day. It's about taking care of your health. It's about taking care of your family and doing those things repeatedly over and over again, over a long period of time. And. Um, Will hopefully, if you, you've bet on the right horse in terms of your company will, will lead to success. But, you know, it's very rarely like a, an, an overnight thing and it's always about learning. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Love that. So in light of time, I'm going to get down to the last two questions before I go into what I call the lightning round, which is just a few questions that's uh, personal and fun. Yeah. Question is going to be, how do you know you've had a successful day?
1: Oh, my God. How do I know I've had a successful day? uh i guess if i can come home and uh you know there's there's food on the table and i've got a bed to sleep in and the house hasn't been taken away from us it's usually a pretty good day uh by by all accounts um so you know i think you know i try to be you know as grateful as i can for what i have so just having the basics in life for me is, is enough to keep me happy at times
0: love that answer all right, last but not least, for anyone uh, looking to either work with you or get more information from you, where would they go?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, like anybody who's looking to start a business um, and who is thinking about taking a leap or maybe you're running a company for the past 12 months and you're in a bit of a rut, you don't know what to do, just you can reach out to me. It's uh, rory at naviram.com and John, will share the details. I'm sure they'll be in the show notes afterwards. Um, you can find me, Rory Galvin, on LinkedIn. Look me up, drop me a note um those are probably the easiest ways to to get in contact so more than happy to take some time for people who need a bit of help fantastic awesome
0: let's get into the lightning round with the first question being what is your favorite food and why
1: oh my favorite food uh probably be anything to do with with fish i love fish so whether it's sushi grilled salmon on the barbecue you know fish tacos nice definitely my favorite
0: yeah awesome favorite travel destination
1: Oh my god! Favorite travel destination, probably France. I love France, The food, the wine, the climate. So yeah,
0: lovely. Actually, uh, I want to go to France at some point in my life as well. So that's mm-hmm. a, that's a destination for me. Favorite podcast or book?
1: Oh uh, well, I tell you what. Um, I the podcast I'm listening to uh, right now is called Hard Fork. Um, it's the it's a technology podcast with the New York Times, and it comes out like once a week. So. I find it funny and I can catch up on a lot of a lot of things uh, uh, really quickly. Um, so Being Irish, a book that I'm reading at the moment is, is Bono's autobiography, You Too, uh, on, on You Too. So nice. that's really interesting. And so, uh, you know, I'd recommend both. Awesome. All right, last but not least, if you were
0: given unlimited amount of money, but you had 48 hours to spend it, what you spend, you get to keep, What you don't gets taken away, what would you do?
1: Oh my God, how much money are we talking about? Um, I think I'd probably buy, if I could, I'd I'd buy a a private jet, purely just to help me get around more efficiently, to be really selfish and you know, probably environmentalists would probably uh, criticize me. But if I could, uh, it would just make my life a lot easier in terms of getting around uh, North America. That would be my, my luxury for sure.
0: Amazing. I've never heard that one before, but and that's pretty good because <laughs> private jets are good, I mean, especially for uh, to get to places. Makes life a lot easier. Awesome. Rory, it's been a fantastic time. No worries. Thanks so much for being on. My pleasure, John. Awesome. Thank you. If you like what you saw and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below. Thank you for tuning in to The John Papaloni Show.